You are listening to The Adventures of Sariputta and Moggallana. I'm your host, Morris Sullivan. Venerable Sariputta was known for showing gratitude to people who had helped him in some way. As you may remember, he had studied under another teacher before he met the Buddha, and even years after he had become an arahant with the Buddha's guidance, Sariputta continued to bow to his first teacher whenever he would see him, grateful for the kindness that he had shown him. There was a very poor Brahmin who stayed at a monastery doing small chores like pulling weeds and sweeping, and the monks would share their alms food with him. This kind of arrangement is still common at monasteries in some traditions. Someone will stay there and help out with upkeep, cooking, things like that, and will share in the food and other requisites that the monks receive. The monks were happy to share food with the Brahmin, but they never offered to ordain him. Well, one day the Buddha recognized that this man was very close to enlightenment himself. By living at the monastery, listening to the Dharma, practicing, working on the grounds, he had almost become an arahant. So the Buddha asked the monks about him. Did any of them remember ever receiving any help from him? None of them had really paid him very much attention, so nobody could answer except for Sariputta. Venerable Sariputta said that once when he was going for alms and Rajgir, the Brahmin had shared with him some food that he had received as alms himself. So the Buddha asked Sariputta to ordain him, and he did, and he gave him the Dharma name Radha. After that, Sariputta watched after Radha's instruction very carefully, and the Brahmin followed his instructions happily and diligently, and he quickly became an arahant. The monks who had observed this were very impressed that Sariputta remembered that small kindness and returned it with such gratitude. Being a grateful person, they said, he would receive pupils in the future who were similarly grateful. I spoke recently about the spiritual value of characteristics like gratitude, kindness, and purpose. So actually, I was thinking, uh, you know, we're in what is, in this culture, the holiday season, and, and we're at the end of the calendar year. And I was wondering, like, and this is my last Dharma talk for the year. So I was thinking, like, what could I give you at this point that would be kind of a nice gift to wrap up the year with? And it occurred to me that there are some things that come up fairly often when I'm talking, and so maybe I could kind of wrap those up as the, an end-of-the-year teaching. And so I'm gonna offer you a few gifts, actually, that uh, these are the best kind of gifts because they don't wear out, they don't rust, they don't lose value over time, and in fact, the more you use them, the more you have of them. So, they're, and they're fairly simple. They're kindness, gratitude, and purpose. So the first two, kindness and gratitude, these are gifts that we give to others and ourselves at the same time. They don't cost us anything, but the spiritual wealth that we receive as a result of them is priceless. We tend to think maybe of kindness and gratitude as sort of opposites. Um, we give acts of kindness and we're grateful for kindnesses that we receive, but they're really mutually supportive. Kindness tends to lead to gratitude and vice versa. 
Also, we tend to think of these as being like characteristics. We might think of someone as a kind person uh, or having a kind state of mind. And it's sort of the same with gratitude. We think of people as being generally grateful or ungrateful or I feel gratitude or whatever, but really there's more helpful ways of looking at this, I think. If you look at them as things that you do, as things that you give. Gratitude is a very powerful practice. It's hard to feel like the world is a terrible place if we take time to notice all that's being done on our behalf. And so when we express gratitude verbally, it helps to deepen our connection to others. So there's a definition of gratitude that I find useful. It's, it's a feeling of reverence for something given. It's like the way the Buddha talked about gratitude there's a Pali word that basically means profound awareness that occurs when we benefit from someone else's actions, when we know what has been done on our behalf. So there's kind of two types of it. There's a momentary feeling that we experience when something benefits us, and then there's a more long-term mindset where we see God life as a gift. We recognize that we're constantly receiving support from other people from nature and so on. And these things help us survive and thrive. They're gifts to us that keep us going. The benefits of practicing gratitude, um, we tend to be more optimistic. We have a greater sense of life satisfaction, more, a better sense of well-being. And we tend to be less envious, possessive, have less anxiety and depression and things like that. So when we're grateful, we have more of the emotions that we associate with happiness and well-being and fewer of the emotions that we associate with unhappiness and discontent. Ungrateful people tend to see life as a burden. They focus on the negative and see what they don't have instead of what they do. And we, you know, we can all get into that. We, the mind has a tendency to look for what's negative, look for the problems. It takes a little bit of effort to look for what's going right. Um, so if we practice gratitude, it actually makes us more pro-social. We, we seek out others more and we feel less stressed, less stressed. And because it's directed outside of us, it's a recognition of our interdependency with others and with nature. You hear this word interdependency a lot of the time and it sounds like some mystical realization, but it's really just recognizing how, how integrated with one another our lives really are and how much of, of what we get from others benefits us. So gratitude is the awareness that we've received a gift of some sort. And if you can be grateful, then you're also likely to recognize the value of giving and thus you're more likely to be kind. So Buddhist practice incorporates this idea that positive actions lead to positive results. You do a good thing, you get a good result. Conventionally speaking, we can call that good karma and negative actions need negative results. The effects of an action can include some consequence that comes at us from external conditions. So if you go to work, you get paid. You do a good thing, you get a good result. Uh, if you do a really good job, maybe you get a promotion. If you smile at somebody, maybe you get a smile in return. But that's kind of transactional, that, that way of looking at it. But the effects, the, the more important effects of doing good 
are the consequences of that to our minds. So if we do bad actions, that doesn't just make us bad within a social context, it leaves kind of a stain on the mind. So we become spiritually worse off because of the kind of mind that we develop as a result of doing harmful things. I was just talking to someone uh, this morning, actually, about how, you know, if you do something bad, it, it, your mind sort of starts to become okay with it. And then when you stop doing harmful things and you start to see that being kind and, and not engaging in harm is a better thing, your mind becomes more sensitive when you do something that's kind of a, a negative karma. Uh, you become a lot more aware of it. And this is a sign that your mind is getting better, it's healing, it's becoming uh, stronger in good ways. So, you know, we all know people that we would describe as negative. They always seem to be able to find a reason to complain about something, right? Everybody knows, anybody doesn't know someone like that? My mother She's not, okay. Um, and some people probably come by this naturally, but you could practice it if you wanted to. If you wanted to be a negative person, you could do that. I wouldn't recommend it. It's much better uh, if we are happier and spiritually healthier if we develop habits of being kinder and more compassionate and understanding. So if we're compassionate, we don't want others to suffer. And so we restrain our actions. We avoid doing things that cause harm. And if we're kind, we want others to be happy. So we're helpful to them in some way. And in the process, we actually make ourselves happier. I mean, there's people who measure this stuff, you know, the people who do research in, into human psychology, and, and modern science verifies this, but the Buddha considered it really essential to spiritual progress. He said, if beings knew the benefits of giving, they would never eat a bite without having given first. Even if it were their last bite, their last mouthful of food, they wouldn't eat without first sharing. So that's, he considered that pretty important to be generous. So sometimes we live in a challenging environment and it's hard to be kind. But the fact that we live in a challenging environment at a challenging time is actually an opportunity to grow in terms of our spiritual health. The Buddha taught that the basis for our good and skillful actions is heedfulness. It's not innate goodness, but making it a point to really pay attention to opportunities to be kind. There's a teacher I admire a lot, Tanisaro Bhikkhu. He's a monk in the Thai order. And he's, he talked, was talking about how important it was to be atten attentive to this. And he says, we're not kind because we're innately kind. In fact, our minds are so quick to change that it's hard to say that they're innately anything, good or bad, aside from just being aware. If we're heedful, we're kind not only when others are kind to us or make us feel safe, we're kind because we see that kindness is the safest course of action, even in the face of the unkindness of others. And I agree with this. I mean, not just Buddhism, but all the major religions consider kindness to be a virtue. And if you're thinking about it in secular terms, it, it also contributes to our overall well-being. It has great benefits to the way we feel as individuals, but also to the society that we live in. 
So most people, you know, think of happiness. What does it take for me to be happy? And they'll think of, about their circumstances. We'll be happier if we make more money or if our political realities match our political hopes or things like that. But it turns out that our circumstances are actually a relatively minor factor in how happy we are. We can't change our genetics and that's part of what makes us happy or not. It's a big component of that. But we can engage in activities that lead us to happiness. And that's actually the thing that we have the most control over, what we do. And fortunately, that's the one that's gonna give us the biggest return, the most benefit. So when we look at the kind of actions that will make us spiritually healthier and happier people, they're the same kind of actions that lead to spiritual liberation, including developing a giving nature and refraining from causing harm, so being kind. It doesn't cost anything. Even if somebody is just outright nasty to you, it doesn't cost you anything to be nice in return. I've never, I can recall many opportunities where I have been unkind and regretted it later. I can't really think of a single time that I've ever regretted being kind to someone. It seems to me that the effect of an unkind act on your mind is that it sort of smolders like an ember in the ashes, just kind of waiting to burst into flame when it's exposed to air. If you practice being unkind, you've got all these embers just smoldering in your mind, just waiting to burst into flame. Fortunately, we all have a capacity for kindness. Even So I am by nature kind of a curmudgeon. I admit that. And it's aware, being aware of that makes me aware that I have to work at being kind. You know, it's just something that it, it doesn't come naturally to me. But I found that I live in a much better world when I practice kindness than when I don't. So most of the people that I meet here, generally speaking, are pretty kind people. But we all get busy. We develop habits and so on. And sometimes our habits and schedules get in the way of our kindness. If you take the time to deliberately practice kindness, though, it's almost guaranteed to boost your sense of well-being. And the easiest way to do that is to just do acts of kindness. That doesn't mean you have to pass out money or give expensive gifts. The Buddha said, even if someone rinses out a bowl or a cup and discards the leavings into a pool or pond thinking, may whatever animals live here feed on this, that would be a source of spiritual wealth. So every time you get a chance even to do a small kindness, if you're aware I'm doing something good, that will, that will make you a better person, spiritually. So give mindfully and sincerely and want the recipient to benefit from the gift and you'll be happier as a result. Uh, the last gift that I wanna talk about is purpose. To live on purpose means to be guided by our highest values rather than just being yanked around by our attachments and our aversions. So for me, you know, that means practicing the Buddha way. That's my highest values. Living the Dharma, the path to awakening. Yours might be different, and that's okay. We don't have to have the same purpose. But if we're guided by what our highest values are, that really helps us to keep our minds set in directions that, that lead us to greater freedom and greater happiness. So part of this is to remember that when something bad happens, including when someone's rude or ignorant or whatever, 
that what's been done is not the problem. The problem is how we deal with it. So that's what it means to turn to the Dharma. We look for answers within our hearts that align with our Buddha nature, not seeking to change things outside ourselves. So we don't have to get caught up in right and wrong and fair and fair and win-lose and all that kind of stuff. If we mentally battle against what happens, we sort of make ourselves into a victim and that creates feelings of powerlessness. But if we recognize instead, okay, this bad thing happened, what can I do about it? What can I do about it that's in line with the path that I'm on? Then that can be very empowering when we start to consider the best ways of dealing with what has occurred. It's not passive. It doesn't mean roll over and play dead. It's, it's acceptance in a really strong kind of radical way. You're choosing to accept what's happened. And if you don't do that, it's very hard to move forward. So the Buddhist practice of equanimity is based on this ability to accept. We accept what's happened, including our own response to it, which might be anger and anxiety and things like that, that maybe we thought we had transcended, but something has happened and, and we've had feelings arise with it. And so we accept that and we accept ourselves. And then we look and see, okay, where do I go from here? What can I do that's productive? And as part of that process, look for opportunities to be kind and grateful. Be kind to people in your spiritual community, to your relatives. Rather than responding to arguments with arguments, be supportive and friendly. You're not going to win the argument anyway, right? So you might as well respond to it with friendliness. We shouldn't expect ourselves to always be free from stressful thoughts or angry thoughts, by the way. Things like serenity really come from accepting what's happened, including our responses to things. So there are many things that are outside of our control. We can't control the traffic, can't control the weather, can't control natural disasters, we can't control other people, we can't control the past, we can't control the future. But we can control our responses to things. We can't control our thoughts and sensations. You can't sit and, you know, try going, okay, I'm not gonna think for the next 30 minutes after the bell rings. Thoughts arise, feelings arise, but we can control how we react to those things. And so make your reactions in line with your purpose. It doesn't mean we're always able to do exactly what we wanna do, but with practice and effort, we can get closer and closer to doing what serves our highest purpose. And that's what it means to walk the Buddha way. So thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening to episode 40 of The Adventures of Sariputta and Mogalana. I hope this talk was helpful to you. Now go save the world. <laughs>